The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to return to the book of Acts today, and we'd like to pick up in Acts chapter 16 and Paul's second missionary journey, focusing on the expansion and the growth of the kingdom of God in the book of Acts. And as we go through this, I want to remind you that we have a responsibility, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you, which in context is our basic necessities of food and raiment and shelter. But God will give us everything we stand in need of. I was thinking about this morning, the apostles that are sent out a couple chapters later in Matthew chapter 10, and they were sent out with nothing. They were sent out with no food, no money, just don't even take a second coat. And you're going to go to these cities and you're going to preach. And God's going to provide for your need. And if we're doing what we ought to do, as we're also instructed earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, we're commanded to pray for our daily bread. And then I, I can just envision those, those disciples. Uh, and I believe that it's true of those disciples in Jesus' ministry, but it's also true of the Apostle Paul as we follow him through the book of Acts as he's the primary focus of the book of Acts, his ministry after chapter 9. And as you go from one city to another, you're not necessarily uh, taking a week's worth of food with you, and you don't know where that's going to come from. And we have a responsibility to pray for our daily bread in the morning. And then by the end of the day, God is always gracious if we put the kingdom first we should always have the privilege to thank him for answering that prayer at the end of the day, right? Thank you for giving me my daily bread. And then we do it all over again, right? And uh, thankfully, we're privileged and blessed in America to where we are not having to be concerned about not being able to provide for our family in the sense of not having food to eat and we're not called upon to go on journeys with no provisions. But God is gracious to give us our daily bread in so many other contexts, right? He gives us grace sufficient. He gives us exactly what we need every day. So that's what we need to get up every morning and say, Lord, first of all, your name be hallowed, right? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You be honored, you be glorified. And the very next thing we're supposed to pray for is thy kingdom come, right? Your kingdom be advanced. And then after that, Lord, give me what I need. Give me what I need. And I hope that we can all say at the end of the day, have the right perspective to know that God has given us what we need, grace sufficient every day. And when he does that, when we lay our head down at night, we need to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving me what I need. So here in Acts chapter 16, <clears throat> we're going to continue to look at the expansion of the kingdom of heaven here in this world. And... The Apostle Paul begins this second missionary journey, and he is returning 
in the first portion of this to places that he went in the first trip to strengthen them and confirm them. Now, as we stated for you, this is the first chapter of the autobiography of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, So this is, as the primitive church, and the word primitive means original, so we do our best to maintain the tenets that we see in the original Baptist church that we see in the book of Acts and throughout the rest of the New Testament. So our goal should be to model exactly what is in the book of Acts, right? Because this is who we are. This is our heritage. The original church, the book of Acts, this is who we are. And we want to highlight the specific aspects of that. And this is the hopefully... Maybe a little aggressive today, but we hope to make our way in a broad overview through the rest of the book of Acts and then come back to some specific points that should be the identifying attributes of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ here today as well that we see in the original church. So here in the book of Acts, <clears throat> in chapter 16, we have this conflict between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark, and then Paul takes Silas. So now he's going on this second missionary journey to Silas, and they go uh, to places that they've already been before. You remember in Derby and Lystra, that that is where he was stoned and left for dead, right? And then he goes back to those cities. It just tells you how when the Spirit of God is moving in his people, you have just uncommon boldness that's, that's just illogical, right? I mean, I mean, uh, I would be a little bit hesitant to go back to the place where they stoned me. But the Apostle Paul said, there's some children, there's some sheep that need food there, right? I need to feed these sheep. So I, I have to go back to there. And one very important attribute of a thriving, growing kingdom is people being added to the kingdom, but especially men being called to serve in the ministry. And I just like to say, that that's, that's been a, a specific focus of prayer for myself and many others in these last few years. And I believe the Lord is especially blessing in His church and in His kingdom. There are, uh, there's an ordination coming up this month, and if my count is correct, there's at least eight that I'm aware of within the last two years that have been ordained. And that's, that's a, exciting for the future of the kingdom, right? But at the same time, we almost have to have that type of people being added just to uh, keep up with the people that are uh, getting older and lacking. Uh, they've served well in, in the past, but their health declines and then they eventually pass away. We have to have that much just to sustain where we're at, okay? And praise God that I believe he's answering that prayer. But here we have uh, a young man highlighted that's being called to the ministry that ends up being a very prominent person in the New Testament, and that's Timotheus. It's Timothy. It's Timothy, and we see him here in Paul's second trip back through Derby and Lystra that he is going to serve with Paul in the kingdom and follow him in his, in his journeys. Now, Acts chapter 16 and verse 5, I believe, sets a great pattern for how the Lord blesses his church. <clears throat> Acts chapter 16 and verse 5. So were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. So the first thing we have to do is be established in the faith. The Lord is a very skilled builder of his kingdom, right? He's the foundation. 
and we are called upon to build upon that foundation. He's the chief cornerstone. But the Lord is a very wise builder, and he is not going to be foolish enough to build on an unstable foundation, right? So you lay the foundation. We're established in the faith, and as that foundation is is now more stabilized and secure and settled, it takes a little bit for that that foundation to get settled, right? You don't just pour the concrete, let it dry, and the very next day start putting uh, everything else on top. It has to settle a little bit. And when we are established in the faith and that foundation has time to settle, then that's a structure that the Lord can build upon, right? We're established in the faith. And then they increased in number daily. Increased in number daily. And I believe we could say that these churches were most likely following those same activities of the original church there in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 as they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. And they did all these things daily. They were daily in the temple. And the Lord blessed them daily. Then we have this beautiful picture here of the direction of the Holy Spirit in where Paul would have next to go and serve. And we hope to come back to this uh, maybe next week if we stay on track. That what is step one? What is step one to the advancement and the growth of the kingdom? Step one we find in Acts chapter one, which is to wait patiently on the direction of the Holy Ghost, right? All of this, all of the book of Acts, is essentially an exaltation of the power of the movement of the Holy Ghost in the kingdom of God. These men and the Apostle Paul, he knew he couldn't take credit for it. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Everything that I have in my life is solely by the unmerited favor of God. Now, I, I labor more abundantly than they all, and we, we know that, right? We see all the things he did in the New Testament, all the things that are penned for us in the scriptures. I labor more abundantly than they all. <clears throat> he said, but yet not I, but the grace that was in me. He said, I can't take credit for any of this stuff. It's only the power of the Holy Ghost. And I'll tell you, the power of the Holy Ghost has not diminished one iota from the book of Acts. Not one bit. The problem is simply us quenching the Spirit. Let's just get out of the way and let the Spirit move in us in the kingdom of God. And here, it's a a challenge to discern the guidance of the Holy Spirit sometimes, right? Uh, And sometimes the Lord gives us these examples to understand that these men were men of like passions just like us, you know. Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, <clears throat> we have uh, Abraham, as he's portrayed in the New Testament, he's the, the pinnacle example of justification by faith. He's also an example of justification by works in James chapter 2, and he's called the friend of God. And, and you have all the, this beautiful picture of faith of Abraham in the New Testament. And overall, that's the summary of his life. But in the Old Testament, though, we get the rest of the story, right? We get all the warts. We get all the mistakes. We see all of the times that he didn't trust God. We see all the problems that he created from lying and from not trusting the promise of God in his time. And and I'll tell you, if I was called upon to wait 25 years, I'd get a little antsy too, right? I mean, we, we get a little antsy when... Lord makes us wait a couple days or a week or a month, maybe even a year or two. 25 years, I get a little bit antsy too. 
But the Lord kind of gives us that picture of overall in his life, Abraham was a man who walked by faith, right? He trusted God. But even those who trust God, it's not a 100% walking with the Lord perfect unity, right? We don't always walk hand in hand with the Lord every day. Sometimes we're like, Lord, what are you doing? That's, what I, that's why the Lord kind of tells us a little bit about why Abraham struggled with that. But we should always be like Abraham, though, is when the Lord reassures us of his promise. It's okay to have doubts, all right? But when the Lord reassures you of his promise, you need to say, all right, all right, Lord, because you said so, and now I'm going to trust you, okay? And here, especially in the ministry and discerning the Spirit and where would you have me to serve, what, what open doors are you calling me to pursue, and that, that has so many different applications. Uh, I think the Lord is gracious to give us a little bit of a perspective that we don't always get it right. We don't always get it right. As someone that's so in tune with the Spirit, I, you would think the Apostle Paul always was following this is why it's so difficult is because in the Old Testament, those Israelites, they just followed the cloud, right? They followed the cloud. They followed the fire by night, and that's pretty easy. Where do we go? Oh, let's follow the cloud. Oh, the cloud went east. We go east. cloud went west. We go. That's pretty easy, right? But it's hard to discern the Spirit. And Paul, no doubt with, uh, you know, if you think logically, maybe it was geographical. You know, this is the next city in line. I mean, this to this looks like a great, uh, you know, if th this is how the Lord ended up moving. But, but if I was mapping something out and I want the kingdom to expand in the quickest way possible, you really want to hit the major cities, right? You want to hit the ports, right? Because when you hit the ports and you convert people in there, you may get them while they're traveling in a certain area. And then if you, they go home. And then the kingdom expands. So, like, if, if I'm looking at that, I'm going to have a ranking of cities and say, well, this one makes sense because all the right people are here. It's a port city. You're going to have, there's so much potential here. And maybe the Paul, Apostle Paul was thinking through that very logically. It's not a bad thing to do. <laughs> I believe the Spirit moves through logic a lot of times. But don't always just assume that because sometimes the Lord's going to guide us to do things we may not expect, okay? But, he says, I believe that the next place we need to go is in Asia. And the Holy Spirit forbade them from preaching in Asia. And I don't know how that works. You know, sometimes uh, he wrote, in, especially in Romans, he said, I had a desire to come to you, but Satan hindered me. Now, how did Satan hinder him? I, I think there's a good chance it was through some wicked ruler who threw him in prison or something like that. You know, I was, I was going to go the next day. But instead, I got through in prison. And he understood the greater spiritual battle that we're undertaking in the kingdom of God. That it's not about, uh, we talked last time about Herod. Herod killing James as a martyr of the church. And the Lord took care of Herod. He, he killed him with worms, right? That's how the Lord defends his people. Uh, you mess with the kingdom, you may get eaten by worms. So the Lord knows how to defend his people. But... The Apostle Paul understood the greater spiritual battle that we're in. So when he was thrown in prison by a wicked ruler, he didn't say, oh, that mean King Herod. He said, no, this is Satan. Satan did this. So I don't know necessarily if he was hindered in that way, but I believe most likely that he just felt a strong conviction and burden in his soul 
to where I just know this is the wrong path. Okay, well, let's reassess. Let's pray about it. And you know the Apostle Paul was bathing all this in prayer, right? And he said, all right, and we're, okay, Asia's not it. Asia's not it. Where do we go next? He said, all right, well, let's go to Bithynia. But then the Spirit suffered them not. Okay, I'm over two. All right. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And sometimes you need to be humbled a little bit just to understand how dependent you are on the Lord. <laughs> Maybe that was a little part of it too. Maybe this was a little, a little bit more of that thorn in the flesh that was used to keep Paul a little bit humble, lest he should be exalted above measure. And then he really doubles down in prayer and says, Lord, Show me what you'd have me to do. And then there's a vision of a man in Macedonia. And the Lord opened doors for him to go into Macedonia. It's interesting. He saw a man of Macedonia saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. Now, he arrives in Macedonia and, and Philippi is the chief city in Macedonia. But it's interesting he sees a man. Now, there's going to be a very prominent man a little bit later in this chapter, the Philippian jailer. But who's the first person that he sees when he gets to Macedonia? It's not a man. It's a woman. It's Lydia. It's Lydia, the seller of purple. And one of the most important things to understand, we see this with the eunuch. We see this with Cornelius. We see this with Lydia. We see this with the man in Macedonia. What you have, we see it in Corinth as in the 18th chapter as Paul's discerning what the will of the Lord is, and he said, look, don't be afraid to, to minister here because I have much people in this city. What you find is there are children of God that have not yet come to the knowledge of the truth that are over here praying, Lord, show me what you would have for me to do in the kingdom. Well, show me, Lord. And then over here on the other side of the equation, you have a minister who's also praying, Lord, show me what to do. And the Spirit brings them together. That's what we see so many times in the book of Acts. So this is not just a vision of him just seeing a random man. This is a man that is praying, Lord, show me what you would have me to do. And he's answering that prayer by sending the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit. Okay? So now he arrives here <clears throat> in Macedonia and he finds some faithful sisters on the side of the river where prayer was wont to be made. He, he meets Lydia, a seller of purple, and he preached the gospel unto them. And, and it's also very important to note with Lydia, whose heart, this is verse 14, whose heart the Lord opened, and she intended the things that were spoken of by Paul. Open doors and the advancement of the kingdom will only be... And this is why we have to be so dependent on the Holy Spirit. It will only be successful if the Lord is going before us. Because we know that only those that have already been born again have the ability to receive the gospel, right? Have the ability to believe it because it's foolishness to those unless they're born again. The Lord had already opened her heart and she was already serving God in the knowledge that she had. She knew that she needed to be praying to Jehovah God, and she wasn't really happy with all. There's a reason why they're worshiping on the Sabbath day out by the river is because she wasn't happy with all the rest of religion that she had was, was exposed to everywhere else. 
And that's what, that's what a lot of people do is that they, they get disenfranchised with all these different churches and then they gravitate to kind of like a home church kind of setting. Why? Because they, they see that everything else is not right, but they don't know what the right thing is. You see? That's pretty much what these people here on the side of the river were doing. They were, they were saying, we're not happy with all the rest of religion, so we're just going to have our own little home church here by the river. And the, and the Spirit directed the Apostle Paul to give them more information about, look, you're not called to be in this isolated little home church group. No, you're supposed to be invested in the kingdom of God that's out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. You see, the kingdom is much more dynamic than you just worshiping with your family at home and not talking to anybody. That's not what the kingdom is, okay? And then they receive it and they were baptized, her and her whole household. Now they make their way into Philippi, which is the chief city of Macedonia, and everywhere that the apostle Paul and all the rest of the apostles went, there were great signs and wonders done and healings, and as we've discussed before, those are now in the New Testament kingdom. They're not going to be physical healings because that time of miraculous manifestation of gift has passed, but there should be great, powerful, spiritual changes in the lives of people in the kingdom of God. Okay, and I'll tell you, if you don't think people, children of God, are being deceived and I wouldn't say fully possessed, but if you don't think that children of God are being uh, tempted and deceived by evil spirits to do evil things and they need to get rid of those, uh, the influence of those evil spirits in their life, then we are very naive about the reality of the spiritual warfare that we're in. There are people that are being deceived by, by devils, by evil spirits, and they need to purge those out. And they're purged out by the preaching of the gospel. But <clears throat> Apostle Paul casts out the spirit of divination from this little lady, and her masters made a lot of money off of her for soothsaying. Now, I'll tell you, when the church starts impacting the financial riches of other people, that's when things get serious, right? And that's what we find in the book of Acts. But that should... No revival. I think this is something I wrote in the uh, article I wrote, Revival's Call for Radical Repentance, a couple of the articles on revival that I've, that I've noted. Uh, there, no revival is complete, okay? No revival is complete until it affects our finances. No revival is complete until it affects our finances. And I'll tell you, things change <laughs> when the kingdom's growing and our priorities change. And then he casts out this... Uh, we see this especially in Acts chapter 19 as they're putting the graven image business in, in Ephesus and in all of Asia out of business. And that should be the impact of the gospel in the kingdom today as well. So he cast out the spirit of divination. And the people that were using this lady to deceive them, deceive the people in the city, they, they were going to lose out on a lot of money. So therefore, they get mad and they call the local rulers. So that's how the Apostle Paul and Silas end up in jail. We know Acts chapter 16 and then being in Philippi singing praises to God at midnight, right? And then the Lord sends an earthquake. Well, how'd they get in prison? Because they cast out the spirit of divination. The, her owners uh, were going to lose money and they stirred them up to throw them in jail. So now, here we find that they're in jail and they're praying and singing praises to God at midnight. And then the Lord sends an earthquake and 
one of the very uh, under-emphasized miracles in all the Word of God is that this earthquake happened in the jail, and for some reason, none of the prisoners ran out, right? I would say that's contrary. Miracles are things that are contrary to nature. <laughs> I'd say that's contrary to nature, right? And Apostle Paul says, the Philippian jailer, the man who's over the whole jail, and if any, you just have to understand the Roman system back then. Uh, it, it was not a very good, pretty pressure-packed job because if you lost any of those uh, jailers, you know, you didn't just get demoted. You got killed. Like you ch and the reason, I think a large reason of why um, this man was so afraid, um, and he says, I don't, I don't think he was even asking about joining the church in verse 30 when he says, Sirs, what must I do, I do to be saved? Number one, I, I just want to make sure I don't get killed. But number two, I think that he was hoping there was some way that even if I was killed because of the Romans and how they dealt with these, um, these possible loose prisoners and stuff, um, I'm just hoping I can save my family. Because the way, they wouldn't just kill him, they'd kill the family. And you know, if I messed up, you know, kill me. But is there a way I can save my family? And I don't think he's thinking about the gospel in the church at all. When he comes in, he, he runs in, the, in there, and Paul says, we're all here, none of the prisoners have left. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so many people in Christianity, for some reason, is asked, believe that this, this Philippian jailer is coming to them saying, what can I do to go to heaven? He's not asking how, what, uh, how he can go to heaven. <laughs> That's not what he's asking about right here. He's saying, Lord... I, I'm in need of deliverance. I, I'm in, I'm in a bondage and I'm in fear. How do I receive deliverance from everything that I've got going on in my life and in my mind? And the answer to all of it is the same answer. <laughs> Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Notice, and thy house. You're, you're afraid not just about you losing your life, but, but your family being killed. Well, I'll tell you, I've got something better for you than you just making sure you don't get killed today. I've got something that's better for you, for your family, and it's the kingdom of God. It's the church. And then he believes and, and he's baptized that night and all of his house, and then he goes, and he was the person who was supervising the whole situation of them being beaten, you know, he was the person that did it because he was the person in control. He was the supervisor. But he was the person that commanded them to beat them. And then that night, he washed their wounds. Oh, the intimacy. The beautiful picture there of the same man that commanded them to be beaten is the one, by the end of the day, is washing their wounds. Then they make their way from Philippi to Thessalonica. And Paul, as his manner was, Chapter 17, verse 2, his manner was he reasoned three Sabbaths in the scriptures, uh, goes into the synagogue and preaches there. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, this is verse 4 of Acts 17. Some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. One of the main things I want us to notice here in the book of Acts is we think that church in the kingdom of God is just coming to church on Sunday for an hour and a half and having a good worship service. 
Do you know how few worship services are highlighted in the book of Acts? Very few. Very few. The kingdom of God is about much more than public worship. It's really about the other six days of the week. This is just to encourage us and recharge us if we're if our fuel is running low on Sunday morning. This is just to recharge us, to re-energize us, to go out and press into the kingdom the rest of the week. So the church is not primarily about public worship. This is just our refreshment and our encouragement to go out and do what we're supposed to do the rest of the week. So what Paul did here, and this is not a church worship service, he's going into enemy territory <laughs> to preach the gospel, to go to the synagogue. And this is always the disposition that we see all the way through the book of Acts. They preach publicly, not just ministering to the people who are already church members. They're preaching outside the walls of the church, outside the walls of once-a-week public worship. They preach the gospel. Some believe. Some are indifferent. And a small minority hate it and try to persecute them. That's the disposition everywhere they go. Everywhere. And that should be the same disposition today. If we have that same boldness to stand up for truth, listen, there's going to be some people that you're going to identify with. Even if you're just willing to, to be bold enough to stand up for truth in the workplace, there's going to be some people in your workplace that are also devout Christians that they're, they're going to identify with you and you're going to draw closer with them. The majority of them are going to be indifferent. The majority of them are going to be indifferent, just the way things are. And then you have a small minority that are not going to like you. We just need to understand that. If we are pressing into the kingdom, the man that we ought to, we're going to have some people that we're very close to, some people we're going to believe, some people we're going to have fellowship with. The majority of people, it doesn't really matter to them, and there's going to be some people that hate us for Christ's sake. That's a good place to be. That's a good place to be to suffer shame for the cause of Christ. So... As I said, he preached, he goes in intimate territory, he preaches at the synagogue. Some believed, a great multitude was added to the church, but now you have this small group that are now trying to stir up trouble. So they go and they assault the house of Jason, and then you have one of the most commendable accusations that the church has ever had. Now understand, this is not an accusation that the church could ever say that we've done this, but this is the, the testimony of the enemies of the church, the enemies of the kingdom. They're the ones that said in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. We've been hearing about these guys because everywhere they go, they're stirring up, quote, trouble. <laughs> well, the kingdom of God changes the status quo. We'll put it like that. It, it changes. It changes the way things used to be. And a lot of people don't like change from the way things used to be. Right? There's a lot of people that get their feathers ruffled when things change from the way they used to be. And that's what the kingdom does. It turns the world... Because the kingdom of God, understand, if, if everyone is acting in accordance with the world... You understand that the kingdom of God is exact opposite, 180 degree different from the world, right? Exact opposite. 
That's why to be a friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. See that? Because they are two diametrically opposed positions. So if everyone's just living according to the course of this world and the kingdom of God shows up, now all of a sudden there's some people going in the exact opposite direction. And that's what that's the impact that the kingdom of God should have. There's a lot of worlds that need to be turned upside down. Now, Berea goes, okay, very quickly, very quickly. In 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, we get some more information on the power of what happened in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope. Verse 4, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. What happened when he preached the gospel publicly in Thessalonica? Our gospel came unto you not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as you know what manner of men we were among you. Let's Skip to verse 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God. So many of these children of God in the book of Acts, they had a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And the only thing that they knew was, I have a desire to offer sacrifices to something, and the only thing I know is, in Athens, the unknown God. The only thing I know is this, this pagan culture. And I, I know I want to worship something because I know there's something greater than me that's blessing me. But I don't have the knowledge that I... But then when the gospel came, they said, this idol is nothing, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship and serve the true and the living God. You see? That's the power of the impact. And then, not just them believing the gospel, but... A labor of love. They, they got to work, right? Labor. They got to work. And patience of hope. Okay. <clears throat> and then, okay, he commends those Thessalonians, especially in the two epistles to Thessalonica, so highly, right? It was impressive. But then there were some people that were even more impressive than the Thessalonians. And we've kind of titled these the Noble Bereans, Acts chapter 17, they went to, into Berea and verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether, the, whether those things were so. We hope to highlight in the future what should be the daily activities of the church the daily activities of the kingdom of God. And one of those is searching the scriptures daily. We need to have a pattern of reading and study, but it's not just about reading and study, okay? It's about testify, testing the word of God to where it's proven true in your own mind, okay? Because... Just sitting and listening, you don't, you don't, the truth of God's word does not sink in just by osmosis. You have to go through experiences where you try and test, it has to be proven true to you in your own mind, in your own experience, okay? 
And that's why you need to be daily invested in the Word of God. And it's so commendable that these the Thessalonians were, were amazingly blessed and commended by Paul. And, the, and he said the, the Bereans were even more impressive. And maybe what's, what's possibly what set them apart? Their diligence in the Word of God. Their diligence in the Scriptures. Now, what happened in Berea? See, this should be everywhere the kingdom goes. Therefore, many of them believed also of the honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. Then he makes his way to Athens. And he is stirred up because he sees the city wholly given to idolatry. And then he's given this amazing platform to preach on Mars Hill at the Areopagus. And he preaches this powerful message about, listen, you, this is a very superstitious culture and, and you just want to see the new thing. You want to hear, um, they spent their time in verse 21 and nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. And there was nothing more new than a guy showing up saying, there's a guy, Jesus of Nazareth, that used to be dead and now he's alive and he's God. Well, there's nothing that's more enticing to us than that if we're looking for something new and fancy, you know. Uh, and they, they give him, there's this consistent theme of how these preachers are constantly elevated to these positions of a platform to preach to large audiences. And that's what the Lord does, right? If you humble yourself in the sight of God, he's the one that will exalt you. And it's just amazing how by them just preaching over here, all of a sudden, next thing you know, they're giving a platform to preach to the whole city, to thousands of people. And he preaches this powerful message about, listen, you're worshiping all of these pagan gods, but I want to tell you about, and then you also acknowledge the fact that maybe we miss one. Maybe, maybe we uh, don't have a full grasp on all of this, so you made an altar to the unknown God. Well, he's unknown to you. Let me give you some information and some knowledge to where he is the one true and the living God. You, you're worshiping an unknown God. Him I declare unto you. Okay, now what's the effect of him preaching here on Mars, Mars Hill? <clears throat> Same disposition, right? Verse 32, they heard of the resurrection of the dead. They mocked him. You know, you have to be willing to be a little bit of a fool for Christ's sake. Okay? And I hate to say it, we're just so pampered in America. That's about as bad as it can get. If we're unwilling to have people laugh at us for the truth, the, the Apostle Paul would be ashamed <laughs> to say that I'm members of the same church as people that are afraid of being laughed at when I'm having being thrown in prison and being beaten. But you know what? That, that can be very difficult in the moment. We have to be willing to be laughed at. We have to be willing to be a fool for Christ's sake. Certain men, 34, many people were like, they mocked him. Other people said, well, I don't know. I guess we'll hear him again later. Maybe we'll have him come back. And that was a very entertaining couple minutes. Maybe we'll have him back some other time. We can be entertained again. You have some that believe. Many are indifferent. Howbeit, how certain men clave unto him. And one of them is Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius and others with them. One, 
why did the what's one of the reasons why the Lord gave him this platform on Mars Hill with Areopagus is because there was at least one child of God that was there on the Senate in Athens. That was the equivalent of the Senate for them. There was at least one child of God there that needed to hear that gospel. And guess what? He heard it and he believed it. You see? Okay, now they go to Corinth. They leave Athens. They go to Corinth. And he goes, as his manner was, he goes into the synagogue and he reasons with them out of the scriptures. And there were some that opposed themselves. They blasphemed and he shakes his raiment and he posts up in verse 7. I love the the gamesmanship of the Apostle Paul. You know what? You don't want me in the synagogue? Well, great. There's a guy that, that believes me who's your next door neighbor. I can just envision him again in his sanctified <laughs> um, humility, standing right at the door of the synagogue, passing out pamphlets, if you will, to put it in modern day context. You know, I can just envision the Apostle Paul saying, hey, great to see you today. Come see us tomorrow, <laughs> right? <laughs> Come see us today, uh, right next door on the first day of the week. And every person that goes into synagogue, he's hand handing out papyrus, you know, papyrus pamphlets in the first century. Now, and one of the reasons he did that was because it's amazing people in positions of leadership and authority that may be converted yeah you have if, I, when, when Paul started preaching on Mars Hill I bet if you asked him hey, you know it's my responsibility to preach the gospel I need to stand up for truth but he probably did not expect one of those leaders of Athenian politics in a natural sense to be converted to the truth right but God did that okay then in verse 8 Crispus the chief ruler of the synagogue the guy who was running the synagogue was converted to the church you see amazing transformations he believed in all of his house and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized now you kind of mesh together he's in Corinth you kind of mesh together some of the things that he said in uh, the Corinthian letters he says I was before you in, in uh, fear and in much trembling now, I preached in demonstration of spirit and power, but I was before you in fear and in much trembling. And there was something, no doubt, this persecution that was everywhere he went, and he got a little bit nervous and a little bit afraid here in Corinth. And again, I'm glad the Lord kind of gives us that picture that Jesus, I mean, uh, Paul was not Superman. He was a man of like passions, just like us. But he was powerfully emboldened by the Holy Ghost. So he's afraid, and what does the Lord do? Be not afraid, comes to him at night in a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set to hurt thee. For I have much people in this. There's work for you to do here because there are born again children of God in this city that need the gospel, and I've opened a door here, and you're going to stay here and preach to them to advance the kingdom here in Corinth. Now, they go and they do that. He makes his way back. He stays there actually for about 18 months. He, then he goes back to Antioch, concluding his second missionary journey, okay? Now, he begins a third missionary journey. He goes to Ephesus. He finds some people here that needed to be rebaptized. They only understood John's baptism. They did exactly what they should have done with the understanding that they had at the moment. But now, they have more information, and they wanted to be aligned with the full gospel 
of the finished work of Jesus Christ, not just that the Lamb is coming. Instead, the message that the Lamb has now come and finished the work of salvation. And that gives us our pattern and example for rebaptism into the church. And then they make their way to Ephesus and disputing things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And he gets essentially an adjunct professor fellowship for three months and he disputed daily in the school of Tyrannus. I mean, the Lord's opening some amazing doors here in Ephesus. And he's preaching the gospel to these students in the school of Tyrannus. And just look at this amazing testimony right here. Acts chapter 19 and verse 10. This continued by the space of two years. And all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Talk about the kingdom spreading like wildfire. Everybody, in, and, and when we say Asia here, it's not the continent of Asia. You can think about a, a region that's probably about the size of Mississippi and Alabama. That's pretty big. That's pretty big. Uh, within two years, everybody in a region of Mississippi and Alabama knew about Paul preaching this resurrected man called Jesus Christ. That's the kind of impact we should have in our communities, okay? And the, the re realistic condemnation is that we don't. That we don't. Hope the Lord can bless us to do better. <clears throat> then you have them casting out more evil spirits, a lot of fuss associated with that. <clears throat> Verse 18, many that believed came and confessed their deeds. Boy, you want to talk about radical repentance. One of, one of the most important aspects of the kingdom is radical repentance. And this is radical right here. Many of them which used curious arts brought their books together and they burned them before all men and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver and the word of God grew and prevailed. They're, they're willing to burn. They were so repulsed by their former life that they didn't do what I would have done, which is have a yard sale, right, and make some money and give it to the church. No, they were so repulsed by their former life that we, we have to have this, it's kind of like, like baptism. Baptism is this, this symbolic picture of putting away old things and coming up to walk in newness of life. And I think this was a symbolic picture for them that we are burning our former life. And you know what, if you're coming from witchcraft, you should be willing to burn that. I don't want, I don't want any remnants of that. But it's almost kind of like that symbolic picture of we are burning our old life to follow Christ in discipleship. Then, the impact that they made, we want time to read all this, this uh, testimony of Demetrius, the lead of the silversmiths, but the short of it is that not just in Asia, and not just in Ephesus, but in all of Asia, the entire graven image industry was being bankrupt, and all of the Temple of, Di uh, temple of Diana, both in that city and in all that region, were being totally vacant, I'll tell you. That's when you start really making people mad, right? Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this before. How many graven image industries would be out of business if God's children truly, truly sought the kingdom of God first and foremost? I'll tell you one thing. NFL football would not be the most profitable sport in America, <clears throat> right? No, they would be defaulting on all of their loans to build these billion dollar stadiums. How, how are our children, I mean, how many children, I mean, if you look at the attendance 
of NFL and not just not just NFL. I mean, just about every major sport has some major event on a Sunday. If every single child of God that was in attendance was in church, number one, every church would have to be building new buildings, and those professional sports they wouldn't be making millions of dollars for things that people used to work a full-time job. You know, people. If you were a professional. Um, just kind of shows you the monetary idolatry that we're in in America. People that were professional uh, athletes back in the day, they got paid like everybody else. That's what they chose to do. You, somebody chooses to be a plumber, somebody chooses to be a carpenter. I'm going to be a professional football player, and I may make 20% more than you, but that's it. <laughs> Instead, we have these people making millions upon billions of dollars because of, let's just get down to brass tacks, idolatry. Idolatry. That's what it boils down to. And I'll tell you, if the kingdom was really expanding in America, <laughs> there'd be some there'd be some really mad people. And you know what? Who knows? Maybe you're one of those people that uh, talk about. We're talking about sports, but um, maybe you own stock in a company that would go out of business, right? Maybe you would lose money if you were an investor in a company that would be put out of business. But this right here is the power of the kingdom of God. Okay. To put graven images out of business. Okay. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 20, Paul, give, if you want to have more insight on what happened in, in Ephesus during those three years he was there, he describes some of that as he preaches to the Ephesian elders in Miletus. <clears throat> and then the rest of the book is focusing on Paul's return to Jerusalem to preach there in Jerusalem, his subsequent arrest, he appeals unto Caesar, then he follows a, a long journey to Rome, and at each step of the way, there's so much providence just interwoven throughout this whole thing. I, I love how it, it, the Apostle Paul was told by the Lord that it's, your, it's my will for you to preach at Rome, and the Lord used some very unfortunate, uncomfortable circumstances to use the Roman government to have an all-expenses-paid trip on the Roman government's dime to Rome, and then he gets to Rome. Oh, what am I going to do? Maybe I need to, uh, if I wasn't, uh, if I was here just in general, uh, I may need to make tents to be able to pay to uh, rent a house. Well, what did the Lord do? The Lord gave him a hired house under house arrest where people could come in and out to him for two years, again, paid for by the Roman government. You see? I want to highlight a few things on that trip to Rome. When he's before Felix, he keeps having these opportunities to preach before Felix and then Festus and then Agrippa. But when he's before Felix, everywhere he goes, you find these people that are interested. Everywhere. Why? Because God has a people out of every nation, kindred people. God has people everywhere. And then he preaches before Felix, and then they bring him to them at night. When Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ, and they reasoned of righteousness, temperance, judgment to, uh, to come. Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way, for when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So he had this opportunity to have a personal interaction with 
these leaders. He preaches to Agrippa, chapter 27. You have this picture of the shipwreck, and one of my favorite chapters in all the New Testament that we don't have time to look at. Then they are uh, shipwrecked on the island of Melita, and then you find these people that are showing generosity and kindness and love to them, which is, I believe, an evidence of the Spirit of God already being there and them being born-again children of God in ignorance on this island of Melita. Then he makes his way to Rome, and he has another opportunity to preach in Rome. And again, you have the same disposition. Acts chapter 28 and verse 24. Some believe, I like how this is kind of the summary of the book of Acts. Okay, Persecution, imprisonment, great opportunities, movement of the Holy Spirit. Verse 24, some believe the things which were spoken, and some believe not. Right? That's the way things are. You preach the gospel, you sow the seed, and some people are going to receive it. Some people are not going to receive it. But then he allowed them, he allowed Paul through his providence, verse 30 and 31, to close out the book. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came unto him. Now, what was the theme? Okay, if you remember all the way back in Acts chapter 1, what did Jesus preach to his disciples about? during the 40 days before he went back to heaven. He preached to them about the kingdom of God, right? Now, what's Paul preaching about during these two years under house arrest in Rome? Preaching the kingdom of God. You see it from beginning to end. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus with all confidence, no man forbidding him. And then you have a reference, I believe it's in <clears throat> Philippians, that even he had an opportunity to preach before Caesar, and there were some of Caesar's household that were converted. Some of Caesar's household that were converted to the truth. Everywhere Paul went, there was open doors, there was opportunities, and the Spirit was moving. Sometimes for him to preach in this public way, some believed, some didn't believe, but many times it was these personal relationships and these personal interactions, right? He said to the people in Ephesus, the, the elders in Ephesus, you know that I, I've not shunned declaring you the whole counsel of God. I, I taught and I, and I prayed over you night and day with tears, and I taught you publicly and from house to house. So he didn't just preach publicly to all the, all the people who weren't in the church. No, he spent time ministering to those who were already members of the church. But that's not the focus of the book of Acts. The focus of the book of Acts is not him going house to house. The focus of the book of Acts is him preaching publicly and the conversion and the advancement of the kingdom. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.